Hi and welcome to another episode of The Walk. I'm Father Roderick. It's a beautiful day. Blue skies. I'm walking on top of a dike surrounded by farmland. And on my left is the big river, the Aim. And rows of ducks are sitting next to the water, probably thinking, we like to go out for a swim on a beautiful day like this, but the water is still a little bit too cold. The winter cold hasn't left the water yet. On my right, down below, I can see the trees and there's a single farm in the distance there with the orange rooftops. Big tree here on right in front of me on the right side of the road. Oh, the ducks are chiming in here. And this is one of these um, gray concrete bunkers, remainders of... Uh, the Second World War, where there used to be a defense line here. And because of the changed uh, surroundings that they recently redid this dike, they made it higher, taller, because of the uh, growing concerns about the water rising, the water levels. Um, These uh, bunkers are now half uh, covered in, uh, uh, in grass and but they left them. They could have torn them down. But th- these are constant reminders of, of our past. And it's very important to remind ourselves that the freedom that we live in uh, was a freedom that people gave their lives for. It's a gorgeous... I'm walking with a, <laughs> a backpack, 20 kilogram. What is that? No, not 20. 20 pounds. 10 kilograms. I'm not that crazy. <laughs> I've got my walking shoes on. I, I, I went out with my coat, but I, I took it off. It was too warm. That's a good sign. So that's in my backpack as well. And today I wanted to share with you some, some ponderings about stress. And something strange happened recently. Uh, as you know, I've, I've had a very busy time at the beginning of, uh, of this year. Um, actually, it was also already last year. Weeks and weeks and weeks of nothing but production work. Long, long days, sometimes even entire nights that I worked. And now that I've been able to step back from that, and the, the pressure is, is gone because, well, I pre-produced a lot of stuff, but the, the deadlines are still a bit of, uh, f- f- further away in the distance. I can breathe again, and, and one of the things that struck me, which is really weird, is that despite the fact that I've worked so hard, there was barely any stress. And that's new. <laughs> that's new. I used to have these years, and if you're a long-time listener, you, you remember those, those conversations that we had where I shared with you how much I was stressed out by all the expectations of people and deadlines and, and things that went wrong, having no margin. And it would literally sometimes create this knot in my stomach. Well, I'm not sure if it was a literal knot, but it felt as if there was a knot, a stone in my stomach. And uh, it seemed that the only way to, to not have stress was to not have any expectations and not to have any deadlines. But the interesting new thing that I've, that I've witnessed in the past few weeks is that I was able to work really hard with almost no stress. 
and uh, it also things did go wrong. I remember there was this one week where I had this technical problem with the editing software that I was working with and spent three or four extra days fixing the problem with the help desk. Normally that would have stressed me out so much. And it was, I mean, it was difficult to fix it. It was frustrating in that I, I needed rest and I couldn't get it because, well, we first had to solve all those problems. But it didn't cause that stress of feeling overwhelmed and feeling anxious. And, uh, and I've been asking myself, why is that? What have I learned or what has changed Con- uh, compared to the past when these situations of lots of work or too much work would, would completely stress me out? Um, and that's recent past. Let me be clear. This is not something, I'm not talking about like five years ago. This is just very recently, my life was full of stress and I feel that something has changed. I was reading this article this morning on my iPad um, about stress. And it was a theory um, in a Dutch online uh, journal from a, it was one of their science editors. Um, and they've, they've been reading up on some recent research when it comes to what causes stress, and the gist of the article was that stress is a reaction that is very, very old. It's, it's part of, of how even other um, uh, beings, whether plant, plants or animals, but also human beings, uh, react to uh, the world around them. And stress is not necessarily a bad thing. Stress is... I love the, the, the definition of stress in that article. And it said stress is, is a goal that you can only, that you know you can only accomplish by taking action. That's causing stress. When, when there's a goal, there's something you need to do, whether it is gathering food for your younglings, if you're, a, I don't know, an animal, a wolf, or... Or, uh, or a bird, and there are expectations because, well, it's just part of your genetic code to do that. And then uh, you can't gather food by staying in your uh, whatever your, your home is, as a bird or as a wolf or <laughs> a chimpanzee. You have to get out and fetch food. And the more... Um, action you have to undertake, the more that goal is difficult to realize, the more stress it will create. And stress is a physiological reaction that is, of course, um, initiated by the mind. The mind realizes, I need to take action. Your body reacts by um, pumping adrenaline in your system and upping your heartbeat. Those are symptoms that we all recognize from stressful times. It's, you, you can't sleep because your, your heart is beating too much. And uh, your mind is also activated. And the reason, of course, is you need adrenaline to perform, to go out and hunt or, or uh, fix a situation. Your brain is getting overactive because it has to find solutions to fix the problem, to, to solve, to reach the goal. So it makes you more inventive. Um, Your heart starts pumping faster because uh, oftentimes 
those goals, especially in, if you look back, required lots of physical activity. You needed to run, to hunt. You needed to be able to fight. And, uh, and, and so it's very logical that our body reacts like that when it's confronted with similar situations. The thing that changed is that the world around us has changed much, much faster than our own you know, genetic code, the, the way we function. And we are no longer just confronted with goals when it comes to finding food or clothes or shelter, safety. But a lot of the goals that we, that we set ourselves or that other people uh, give us are more, much more abstract goals. They have to do with um, recognition, career, uh, success, <laughs> wealth, um, responsibility, uh, lots of things that don't have like a, a very, don't require you to to do one thing, but it's something that's on our mind all the time. Not to mention that our world is much much bigger. Social media have enlarged um, the circles, the social circles in which we live. We come from smaller communities. Even cities themselves are a very recent thing if you look at the total history of mankind. People used to live in small communities. And cities themselves create all kinds of problems because, well, part of those problems have to do with the fact that we don't seem to be made for cities, for, for big environments. It, 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 it's, we, we can't handle that. And so you get deviant behavior. You get all sorts of frictions that may not have existed in smaller communities. I'm not a sociologist nor a historian, but I find that it's a very kind of obvious logical conclusion that the stress, the amount of stress, because the stress itself is not a problem, the amount of stress, the, f the feeling of being completely overwhelmed, that has to do not with who we are, that we're somehow not wired correctly. It's more that the way we are wired is not entirely adapted to the changed situation in which most of us live nowadays. And so our social circles bring about lots of other processes of expectations. People that, that give you goals, you know, and, or you think that they, they, they set you new goals. And so you get social media anxiety where people feel that they have to please so many people. They, they, if, if nobody clicks like on their, on their posts or on their Instagram photos, they feel that that causes stress because they, they don't feel the affirmation of, of their social circles. And so it will push them to perform better in a certain way. You know, take nicer selfies, even doctor the photos so that you look even more glamorous and perfect so that, you know, perhaps someone hopefully will click that like button or retweet your message or share it. That's why that, that little red dot in Facebook and also on many of your apps on your phone with the number in it, it's a, it's, for a lot of people that's a stress, a stress factor. Because it tells you either by its absence 
or by its low number tells you that you're underperforming according to whatever goals there may be in your mind as to how many likes you should have, how many friends should pay you attention. Or if it's, it's an indicator of the number of messages that are waiting for a reply, let's say the, uh, the, there's a number 569 emails <laughs> indicating that there are 569 potential people that are waiting for you to take action. That's a lot of stress. That's a lot of expectation. And while reading that article, and I'm adding my own thoughts to it, I was thinking, yes, that, I, I recognize a lot of that. I do recognize that a larger social circle or different social, social circle, circles generate more expectations or at least make me, make me think that the expectations have heightened, that I should perform, that I do, should do more. Um, I'm also wondering if this has to do with the way that we are brought up. And sometimes, you know, any, any education has its deficiencies. There have, in all our lives, there have been moments where we felt alone or nobody understood us or our parents didn't show us their love enough or not enough as far as we were concerned, what we needed at the moment. There may have been heartbreaking moments in your more recent history where people left you or betrayed you, um, misled you, I don't know, which can cause even more um, struggle, internal struggle or stress because we all need to be loved and sometimes the lack thereof will create a greater need for affirmation. And so we set ourselves these goals to constantly prove ourselves, let other people understand that we need to be seen and loved and respected. And that's different for every person. But I do see some general tendencies that the bigger our world is, the faster it's moving, the more people are stressed out. I read in the article that one-third of the population in the Netherlands is struggling with stress. When, when they're asked, they say, yes, I am struggling with stress. One-third of the people. And then also, pretty big percentage, I forgot what it was, struggling with depression. N not clinical depression, perhaps, but feelings of, of, of not being good enough. Feelings of loneliness, uh, sadness, because that's what a lot of people tend to label as depression. And of course, any psychi psychiatrist and psychologist can tell you that there are many different nuances and levels in that. But it's just the fact that such a big number of people don't feel happy. And it's linked to this, to stress. So what has changed in my life? Um, why didn't I feel that stress? Whereas a lot of the other factors were, are still the same. And it, I, it may have to do with a number of things that I've learned in the past two years, I would say. Um, and the, the, biggest, the, the biggest one is expectations. This whole realization, and I have to thank this podcast for it, because it's usually the time that I have some space to think about, to reflect upon the, on my own reactions and the, the things that happened to me. And 
this whole realization that I was very much, I had very much the mindset of a people pleaser. What kind of bird is that? Sorry, guys, I gotta take a break. There is this big, huge bird here on my left with a very long neck. What is that? I don't even know. I don't have my camera with me, otherwise I would post a picture. Is it a, I think it's a swan. But it's gray. Also looks like a, a goose. The neck is as long as a swan's neck. But the colors are, are not, are not swan-like. The head is, well, oh, you know, I, I think I know what this is. Oh, yeah, 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 that must be it. I think this is one of those swans. It's a type of swan that actually is not from here. And you know why I know this? Because I did this TV show where I went to Groningen in the north of the country. And I interviewed this guy who, was, who had created... That's a beautiful bird. Um, who had created um, this uh, nativity scene for kids to, to introduce them to, uh, to the nature in that particular region of the Netherlands. It's a, um, a nature reserve. Now it is a nature reserve. It used to be farmland. But because that part of the Netherlands is below sea level and uh, sea level is still continue to continuing to rise and so it causes a lot of problems for our very water dependent country they uh, there's an organization that bought up this entire uh, farmland surrounding the city so that it could be used for ex- excess water they can't dump that into the sea anymore because the sea levels are too high and so it's a very uh, right now it's a very swampy type of um, uh, environment and since it's no longer cultivated as farmland uh, there's a lot of uh, nature that comes back to that area it's like the indigenous uh, animals that used to live there are now returning and it's amazing to see how uh, it made me realize how much the the Holland that you see the, the Netherlands that you see in the postcards and in our tourist information is very artificial Yes, it's natural. We have, we have meadows with cows, but even those meadows are artificial. They used to be just forests and, and woods and swamps. And so our, it's a very much a monoculture, and uh, that also has decreased tremendously the, the diversity <clears throat> in animals that we have. And so now a lot of animals are returning back to that nature reserve. And I remember that he explained to the kids, he was giving a tour, so the, the nativity scene was filled with all sorts of uh, stuffed animals, or <laughs> well, not stuffed animals, or real animals that you know you they prepared. And so, and I remember him lifting up a, a swan exactly like that one. It was smaller, small. It had the same colors. And he said, "This is one of those swans. They're actually from the all the way up north, like in Siberia or something like that. And they fly here during the winter to for their summer holiday, basically, because it's much milder. The climate is much milder here." That, that swan is not from here doesn't have that you know orange beak it's much more yellowish and has this more gray color i suppose that's one of those swans and those are dutch swans here right here in front of me white ones sitting there there's one gray one sitting here as well that's funny so they do get along apparently oh there it is it's flying above me right now wow that was an amazing shot Whew. It flew literally as if he wanted to give me a demo of like, here I am. <laughs> and now it's landing up there on the, on the right side in the, in the grass. Amazing. 
ah, that's one of the things I love about walking. It's once you slow down, you have, you have time to observe and to enjoy this and learn. It makes me curious. Um, and I realize that I have so much to learn about my own country and about nature surrounding me, things that I just took for granted. Anyway, back to the stress or the lack thereof. So expectations, um, knowing that I had the mindset of a people pleaser and knowing that that made me unhappy. Uh, wow, that's a lamp. Sorry, I'm so distracted here. There you go. That's a, a sheep. And that is a lamb, which must have been born really early because it's already a bit bigger than usually the age that they have when they when they go outside. That's so cute. Oh well. Goes to show that even animals don't always look at the calendar when it comes to <laughs> the future. <laughs> nice. <clears throat> so it helped me to realize that something had to change um, and that my, I, my f- idea of self-worth should not be so dependent on, on what other people think of me. And the more I realized that, the more I was able to kind of find myself in that whole process and feeling more confident about what I did. And I think ultimately the deepest, the core of that was to, to, re, <laughs> to, to realize again, to reaffirm that ultimately the only thing that matters is what God thinks of me and what his, if, I'm do, if I do what I think is his will, and when I do my best, of course, to discern what is his will, when I do that, then other people's praise or criticism or expectations don't really matter that much anymore. Of course, you, you got to listen. And sometimes God can, talk, can speak to you in, in questions of other people. I mean, of course, if, if someone asks for your help, you can't say, well, you know what? I'm only following God's will. <laughs> That's... So I don't need to listen to your, to your cry for help. No, sometimes that cry for help might, may actually be God knocking on your door. But it's, it's, it, that's something else. And measuring your, your feelings of self-worth to the amount of appreciation or the lack of criticism from people around you. And then it, it makes you stronger when it comes to, especially to criticism. And um, I was talking to a another priest not so long ago who was still struggling with that had received a very nasty letter of criticism and it, it had completely derailed him uh, in the sense that he was very much affected by it and it felt unjust and I believe it was probably a very unjust criticism um, and when I, when I was talking to him I realized well, this, is, this was exactly me few years ago it would have it would have had exact same uh, result and effect on me the one critical remark hurts more than a thousand compliments can can fix right that that kind of feeling but I do believe that I'm, I've grown in that respect I don't say that I'm invulnerable to criticism and it won't affect me at all but I tend to deal with it faster 
and get rid of get it out of my system faster. So one of the things that I do social media is when when someone attacks me um, first thing is I know that a lot of the criticism and a lot of the nasty things that people say um, are projections of their own their own struggles and their own feelings of of uh, of, of helplessness um, aggression often comes from the sense of being threatened so aggression can often be a sign of weakness instead of inner strength. If you, if you feel strong and confident, you don't need to lash out. It's a good thing to, to think of when, when, when you feel you're, you're angry and you, have, you feel the temptation of lashing out. Ask yourself, is this because it's going to help the situation or the other person, or is this because I feel powerless and this is just a way for me to vent my frustration? That's why that whole tip of counting to 10 or 100 or 1,000 before you, you post something nasty on, internet is, on the internet is so important. Because it will give you the time to think about that. You know, what, what, is the, what is the root of my reaction here? What is the motivation? Is it to truly help the situation? And sometimes anger can do that. You know, there's something like justified or rightful anger, which even Jesus shows us in the, when he's at the temple. And he's genuinely angry because uh, the situation as it is is totally unacceptable. And he needs to make a statement there that the temple is for God and not for business. And so, but oftentimes our anger is much more primal and less rational perhaps and less explainable anyway so that's good to keep in mind that, that that the people that hurt you are lashing out a lot of it has to do with their own situation not with who you are and uh so you you may just be the trigger or the uh, uh the lightning rod but it's not your fault <laughs> um so I usually when people attack me and I feel that they're well there's only there's there's hurt on the other side I kind of mute that person I don't block that often anymore except for when there's really nasty behavior and like deliberate like a campaign or something like that then I'm I easily block otherwise I just mute and I do it rather rather quickly um, on Facebook and Twitter it's just mute or unfollow um, sometimes if, you know, there's a nasty comment in a thread uh, below one of the articles that I posted, I just remove the nasty comment. You know, I have no, no problems with that. It's, it's my Facebook feed, and uh, if people want to fight, and they can do that elsewhere. And it's, it's, it's helping me kind of moderate, regulate the, the negative... Uh, the, the negative emotions that sometimes can overwhelm you. Because what, what, what criticism does is it is a trigger for, at least for people like me, that I need to fix this. And, some, and oftentimes, that's the problem with criticism. You can't really fix it. Because the problem is not truly yours. It's on the other side. Hey, little doggy. <laughs> Here's another dog. <laughs> there you go. 
you think he's barking to me and he's mad at me, but it's not, it's not, not the case. The problem is with the dog and the other dog <laughs> on the neighboring farm. I have nothing to do with it. <laughs> I'll just unfollow the dog. <laughs> Hopefully he unfollows me too. So, the, but the, the stress that, that negativity can cause or criticism can cause is that you feel that you have to solve the situation because nobody likes to be attacked, but you can't fix it. You can't solve it. That's why kids in a relationship that goes awry suffer so much oftentimes. And when, that's why children in like a situation of divorce can suffer under so much pressure and stress because the fact that there is fighting triggers that f- sense of, I need to fix this. And if, if you can't fix it, then it might trigger something even more damaging, the feeling that it is my fault. And of course, it's not. But that's oftentimes what, what children think. You know, it's my fault. I caused this. Because that's an easier explanation and perhaps easier to deal with in short term than, you know, my mom and dad are hating each other. That's, that's very difficult to, to deal with if you love both of them as a child. So, anyway, that's, that's one of the things that I do. I, but th- th- there was not much going on there in terms of, of uh, criticism or anything. Potentially, the only thing perhaps that I was wondering when I, when I did my first TV shows was, is it any good? <laughs> I am an, I'm a novice to this. I, don't, I have never created these long-form shows. And um, it's this kind of like uncertainty. Like, is, is, this, is this as good as, as what they expect? That, and especially because I didn't get much feedback at first on what I made. And then over time, of course, I started to understand, well, no, the, the fact that I don't get any feedback, that's a good sign. <laughs> That's, that means they're they're happy, they're content, and and they'll they'll tell you when something needs to be improved, but it's uh, it's usually just technical things or when it comes to length or editing, it's like minor minor corrections that they add, but nothing when it comes to you know oh, what you make is rubbish and you can't tell a story and it's not interesting, and the feedback that we've had from from viewers is there is almost completely positive like people enjoy watching it and so over time you get the feeling you know it's it's good what I do it's 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 really good and um and so that 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 stress when it comes to expectations this feeling of uh, perhaps a bit the remnants of the imposter syndrome um that you wonder who am I to make this TV show, you know, who am I? I, I'm, I'm, I. This is not my profession. I haven't really. I'm, I'm, I'm. I have no experience. I don't. Who am I to do to make this? But the same problem that sometimes you have as a priest is like, who, who am I to teach other people about faith and to, to, to have this homily to talk about these things? Whereas, you know, I'm, I'm as much learning in this process as they are. Who am I to teach other people what they should do, let alone what God wants them to do, if I am still so much of an apprentice when it comes to these matters? And so that, that can make you uncertain. 
And again, I think the ultimately the deepest level in that, when you want to deal with that, is realize it's not about you. It's not your homily, in a sense. It's what you, what you try to do is to let God speak to the people around you, through you. But you're the instrument, you're not the author. And it's your job to be as, as good of an instrument as you can be, but you also have to realize that God did pick you despite your, your lack of experience or your lack of virtue or piety or whatever. God works with fallible people and he does his work anyway. It's a sign of trust. That he, and it's something to be very grateful for that despite the fact that you are not perfect, you're not a saint, I'm also talking about to myself right now, God still chose you to be his instrument. And it doesn't absolve you from trying to be the best instrument <laughs> that, he, that you can be, but nevertheless, it's a huge sign of trust and love that God wants to work with you. And the same is true for, uh, on, on another level, for, for the work that I do in media. The fact that people are listening and that people appreciate what I do, despite the fact that I know that there are people that could do this much better than I. Um, it's kind of mitigated this whole imposter syndrome of, you know, who am I? Why would people watch what I do or listen? The fact that they do is, is, a, is a sign that it's, you know, it's, it's good or, or good enough. <laughs> Which also has to do with another thing now that I'm on the topic of that. It's... Um, uh, I, and th this is also experience. When I, made, when, I, when I made my first TV show, and it was about a year ago, less less than a year ago, um, it, it took three weeks, I think, and I just kept working on it and working on it, and uh, I I had done the first edit, and then I asked someone to look at it, and. I completely redid the entire episode. I started from scratch and I completely re-edited it just based on a few remarks. Um, because I wanted it to be perfect. The thing is, that's great if you have time and energy. But if you have to make a lot of these episodes in a short amount of time and there are few resources and you can't hire other people, then... Um, you have to go for, not perhaps for perfection, but for the best viable product. So what is, what is the best you can do that still works within the constraints? Considering that there is not much time that you want to, um, you don't want to go in depth, to, in depth, in debt, sorry, to create something that is supposed to create some resources for, for the work that you do. And so um, the, the upside of having so many episodes to produce in so little time with so few resources was that more and more I felt free to just deliver the best viable product. And if it was okay, if it was good enough, then you kind of let go of that perfectionism of, oh my gosh, if I, if I only had one more week, it would have been so amazing. And I've had these moments several times when I, um, when I created the episode about, about St. Valentine. 
uh, that I, we had one, well, two days actually to film it, which was very generous because for the other episodes, I only had one day, two days for this one. Um, and of course, there are way more things to say about the entire history of, of Valentine. And I know that a lot of historians will probably look at that and say, well, gosh, it's there is so much more to, to say and to tell. Why didn't you explain this or that? And why did you go for the, 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 the existing theories, etc.? I have to remind myself, minimal viable product. This is the story that I could tell in two days and bring someone at least up to speed who knows nothing about Valentine's Day. Doesn't even know that there was a Valentine, let alone that it was a saint and a martyr. So, gosh, yeah, I, I think I did teach people quite a bit about that. And then the historical finesses and all the other things, that would be material for a documentary that would take months to make. And so, yeah, of course it could have been better. But it's, you know, minimal viable products. It's totally viable. It's totally okay. Considering the audience, considering the amount of resources that I had. And, well, I'm at peace with that. And I don't feel that um, that pressure to go back and fix things. And that's another thing that I've done in, in the past was always to keep everything. It's like this hoarding mentality when it comes to, to the footage that I shot or the recordings that I made. Always in the back of my mind that idea, I should go back and I should, make, I should do something with this that is better than I've done with it um, at the moment. And it's, it's that same, it's that what if mentality. You know, what if I, I have some more time? I could, perhaps in the future, this footage, I could sit down and turn it into a really nice series about this and that. The downside of that is that sometimes I filmed for an entire vacation and I never posted a single minute of that material because I felt like, ah, oh, I got to do something great with this. And then, of course, having no resources, no one is waiting for that. It's, it's ridiculous to think that you will ever do that. This is not the eternal life. It's not that I can say, oh, I'll do that next century. (laughs) So sometimes you just go for the minimal, viable product and it's good enough. But that also relieves you from the stress. And and being able to tell myself, which is also new, that, well, if it's good enough and they pay the bill, then... Who am I to complain, you know? Yeah, sure, it could have been a hundred times better. I would still be paid the same. That, too, is kind of liberating. It's funny. So, I think that really has played a role in, in, um, in, in causing less stress. Now, the, the, the final thing I think that is different from the past is that I've been on this journey towards simplicity and focus. The whole decluttering phase that I'm in, trying to simplify my life, uh, is part of that. It is, you know, what is my true vocation? What is What should be my focus? And what is noise? What is extraneous stuff that is only delaying the fulfillment of, of my mission or hampering it? Even things that are good in itself, 
can be in a way not good because they are not part of your calling. You can do everything. You can work 24 hours a day. Some people even expect you to. But if it's not part of what God asks you to do, then sometimes you should not do it for the sake of being able to focus on what's truly important in your life. I've, this is a topic that I've uh, talked about many, many times on the walk. And so focus means choices, means saying no to many things. And that is definitely something that I have learned and I've, I've started to master it, to be quick in saying no and to be very polite and friendly. And oftentimes I will uh, help the people that are making the request by giving them suggestions of perhaps you could do this or ask that person. But sometimes I don't. Sometimes I don't even have time for that. Just this morning I got a letter from um, a group and said, well, we apologize, but after having asked for four, four times and not having received any reply, we will withdraw our invitation for you to come speak at our event. And... I was able to read that email, which is kind of feels like a rejection email, right? And I read it and I was like, yeah, good for you, good for me. <laughs> I did not feel guilty at all. It, actually, I thought, well, this is what you get when you choose to focus and you choose what you're, to not sacrifice your core mission, your, your vocation, to goals that are imposed on you by other people because what happened with this request and this is just an example of a process that i've witnessed many times is that people out of the blue approach you and tell you wouldn't it be great or you would do yourself a favor if you would come speak it or on our thing or um you have people this happens all the time people that write you an email like um I, I'm working on this and that, and you are also working in the same field of interest. So wouldn't it be great if we would have a talk together and I can pick your brain and we could have a mutually uh, beneficial encounter and brainstorm and perhaps we could, uh, you know, I, we could mean something to your product projects. It's often, oftentimes it's also disguised as like, if you help me, then that will be just so good for you. Like... With, in, in, with media, I've had that uh, many times where people say, well, we've just created this wonderful platform and uh, we would like to, uh, to show your, your podcasts and, and videos on our platform and perhaps in the future we may even have some resources and it's all this... Like, <laughs> now I start to recognize those, those requests where basically it's asking for free stuff. Is someone who wants to build something or... And that might be a very positive, good project. But they're basically asking you, can you give us your stuff for free? So we can use it to build our, our thing. I'm thinking, well, you know, I'm all for free distribution. But if it's going to entail work and if it's going to take people away from what I'm trying... What I feel called to build and what I'm trying to build then no, thank you. I didn't. And I'm certainly not going to spend much time on requests like that because that too is work that I'm doing for someone. I did not approach that other person for a favor. It's the other way around. 
And people can be very persistent. So usually I brush that off. It's like, gosh, I'd love to help, but I have my hands full. <laughs> and then they're like, but I don't understand. This is such an amazing opportunity. We should really talk, really. And then when I got a letter like that, I was like, okay, way too pushy. I'm not doing that. And this happened to me many, many times. So I'm, I'm getting better at... Uh, not falling for that. The same is true for these invitations where, you know, if I don't res- respond to an email, there's always a good reason. I never ignore people's email because I hate them or because I'm a bad person or because I don't want to help. Now, when people write me, ask a question, ask for, a, for help or have a request or whatever, if I don't answer, it is because I can't get to your email. I'm too busy. I'm working on other stuff that I've chosen to work on, which is important for, <laughs> for the fulfillment of my mission. And so you'll just have to wait. And if I don't reply a week later, again, it's not because I hate you. It's not because I'm a bad person. It's because I'm probably still too busy. And so it doesn't help if people can keep emailing like, I don't understand why you didn't answer. Our... We have this request. We're waiting for your answer. We can't move on without your... Ugh. Like, I did not request this. And so you're creating, you're trying to, to me, to turn your goal into my own goal. And if you're a people pleaser, and I used to be one, I would do that immediately. It was like, oh, let's see if I can help. And it would create, even the fact that I would not answer that email would create tension and stress. And I could tell myself a hundred times, but I'm working on something and I don't have time. And yes, I do spend some time, you know, during the week to watch some TV, go to the movies or cook a pizza, bake a pizza. And, but I'm not going to feel guilty about that. That too. Sometimes you just want to clear your mind. You don't want to be catering to other people's needs 24 hours a day if, if those requests are not part of, of what you feel is your core mission. Anyway. So I've becoming. I've. I think I've gotten better at, uh, at you know, staying calm when people have these requests, and my feelings of self-worth are not determined anymore by being able to help anyone or please everyone. And when people withdraw and say, "Well, you know what? Forget about it. Forget we ever asked," you know, now I'm like, "Oh, good. Thank you." You could have you could have been a bit faster telling me that. You know, it's like don't try to impose your stress on me. I will not fall for that because it's only going to hurt me <laughs> what I do and who I am and yeah, I'm past that. So I think that has created a lot of like mental space knowing that I only do a few things and I will sometimes, I will answer those requests. Uh, just the other day, Friday, at a very long interview for a magazine. And I said yes to it. And then when I was, when <laughs> last week, it had been, I was so tired. I was like, gosh, I should have planned that uh, at another time. This was not the best week and I'm exhausted. And yet I still, I was like, but I want to do this. I think this is important. And even though I'm super exhausted, I will do it. I'm not going to bail out. I, this is something I need to do and I will rest afterwards. 
and I did and I still feel that was the right decision it didn't cause any stress it didn't it didn't rile me up as I used to do in the past where I was like oh how could I ever have planned this and I would be frustrated about the commitment that I made now is much calmer and probably also because the rest of the week even though I had to work hard was relatively stress-free um, I was like sure well let's do that I'm, I'm tired I'm not going to prepare <laughs> I'm just tired me and that's what they get because that's who I am and I don't want to be anyone else in an interview than who I truly am at that, pres- uh, that particular moment that's just that's what it is what you see is what you get so I think having that focus has created, um, has allowed me to be, to work hard, very, very hard, but not, no longer be consumed with stress. In a moment the work is done, I let it go. Like this, this week for me is exactly that. It's like, work is over, I have a few weeks with no deadlines, and I'm just going to do the things I'm going to return to the things that are also part of my mission, record podcasts and, you know, continue my journey of minimalism, prepare for my journey to, uh, to Santiago, um, take some extra time to read and to, and to watch TV and to cook. And whenever I have to work hard again, these weeks will be the energy that fuels those intense weeks. And if I continue to set myself new goals, like, oh, now that I finally don't have those other obligations anymore, I should do this and this and that, and filling up my calendar with all sorts of, of new goals to reach, I would, I would not have the energy for future projects. So I'm, I've, I've learned, I think, to be much more patient with myself Um, and whenever I have a creative idea a few years ago I would run and I would try to do it and I would create all these self-imposed stress factors now I'm I'm much more like I do what I believe I should do and I'm very vigilant as to not want too much because the world does not depend on me and my mission, the success of my mission does not depend on me. Actually, the success is not even something I should care about. Success is not a gospel category, as Mother Teresa would say. I do what I believe I should do. And I know that God will, will let it bear fruit if he wants to. And what he wants me to be is to be calm and to work hard, but to work also with a smile on my face to have this focus and to also sometimes walk around just watching ducks. And that's what I'm going to do now that I've recorded this episode of The Walk. Thank you for listening. <laughs> Thank you for your patience. Sometimes I can be, well, sometimes, oftentimes, I'm very verbose when it comes to these, these um, reflections. But perhaps there may be in, something in there for you as well that can help you in your own journey. Thanks for continuing to pray for me. I continue to pray for you. Thank you for your financial support as a patron and also as a supporter of Tridio and SQPN. I will talk to you soon. God bless. Take care.